This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. I was going to start with what I'm drinking. I'm having such a good time. Okay. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Co-hosting with me today is... Uh, Mark Muncy from Erie, Florida. Yay! And our guest today, Boo Wilson! Woo! Believe it or not, they'll add in a whole laugh track now because my producer thinks I'm ridiculous. And it's like, fine, you want a laugh track? And he adds it in and it doesn't go with the actual... It's well, something to see. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Understand they're laughing at us, not with us, even the laugh track. That's fine. If I get a laugh, I'll take it. Like yeah. I can't take myself so seriously. Okay. So I've been drinking Winking Owl Sweet Red from Aldi, which for everybody who's a bargain drinker out there, it's apparently only $5. And they delivered it to my door. Welcome to. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good it's week, incredible. right? Okay. Just nip Mark, the what are you drinking? <laughs> uh, I'm still on my last batch of coffee of uh, the La Petite Mort from Coffee Shop of Horrors, uh, the French vanilla that I highly recommend. And uh, and then I'm taking my nightly epilepsy meds. So, you know, that'll be enough for me. <laughs> so just as a disclaimer for our listening audience, do not take epilepsy meds unless you're required to. That is not part of the drinking with authors. No, I am, I am, I am clinically epileptic, so I have to do that. So thank okay. you very much. Bill, you are drinking the most fascinating thing that we have on the show. Yes. Inca Cola. Inca Cola from Peru and Ecuador. It is sugar, caffeine, and a bunch of fruit flavors from South America, some of which I don't even know what the fruits look like. And it is really quite good. And it's sort of like a tasty, less carbonated Mountain Dew, but um, delicious and a fascinating color. And I just learned to like the taste when I was down there stopping on Machu Picchu and all that. Nice. Okay, so we have, we're gonna have to unpackage that. This is wrapper for our question. I'm gonna go get some of that. I'm gonna figure out how to find that soda. That's gonna be my new mission tomorrow. Okay, so let's rapid fire questions. What is your favorite book of all time? I, I would have to do a flip between um, A couple of different Zelazny's, probably Lord of Light, and uh, Stars My Destination by Alfred Bester, which wow. probably would win if I was forced to, although I, I hate to not pick Rogers. I'm a big fan uh, of Lonesome, Night in the Lonesome October myself. That's yeah. one of my go tos. It's a every Drinking year. with Authors podcast. I can force very little to exist in this world. What is your um, least favorite book? I was the reviewer for Galaxy's Edge for five years. You want a list? Um, Wow. You won't find it in my column because we don't do negative reviews. We just didn't review them. Um, I'd probably say the the book I read that I would, if if you're saying, what would I warn people against reading? Yeah. um, There was, oh. The name just flew out of my head. Uh, the, the stage play, the musical about uh, witches. Um, anyhow, um, okay, switch gears, pick a different one. 
I just, that one's so bad I lost it. I would say probably okay. don't read Bridges of Madison County. The movie was 20 times better than the really horrible <laughs> book. And it was faked by the Times to get it on the list for a per another reason. Yeah. By the way, don't believe the New York Times list. No. no. You know what was interesting? I know for, as an author, and this is how I get sidelined in my rapid fire questions. As an author, I didn't realize what it actually took to get on the New York Times bestseller list and the things you had to do in the review thing and all this stuff. And I was like, this is kind of bullshit. Like, you should just be able to sell a quantity of books and then you're a bestseller. It's yeah. so dumb the way it works. USA Today works that way. Yep. New York Times has 24 bookstores or something like that. Yep. They carefully pick them to meet their political agenda. Yep. And the books that they sell are the ones that they push. Yep. And it took the first 15 years of my career before they, White Dragon came out and they had to admit that science fiction could sell. And it wasn't until D&D. &D, and then they created a ghetto for it by creating a different category of category. book in the Times list for a long time. And it wasn't for another 10 years that trade paperbacks got in. Yeah, that was, uh, I got on the, as well. Erie so got on I, the I'm, bottom. I'm not real big on the honesty. They're, they're about as honest in books as Blue Crosses and paying claims. <laughs> yeah. What were you when, saying, Mark? No, when Erie got on the bottom of the New York Times list, I was thrilled, but we realized we were higher on like three other lists. That was insane. We were like, how is this one so low? And then we realized it was just because we weren't in the right stores. And again, we were up against political books that were being bought by political parties and pushed yeah. by political I mean, parties and stuff. Nonfiction, it's almost impossible. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, but it gets on because a group is ordered to go get the book. Exactly. That was that was like, what ours was. All we found out like, from a certain party or something will get the book. Yep. I always remember the Kennedy story about his dad. Kennedy wrote two books. Profiles and Courage was the second one. His first one was a book about economics. And his father told him Profiles and Courage had to be better because the attic couldn't hold anymore. Or they were too heavy because he bought 4,000 copies of the book to get it on a list so he could run for congressman. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was, we found out the one that beat us was uh, selling, was giving them away to political party members. I bought 100,000 copies to give them away. And it was like, yeah. oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we were rapid firing. We're yeah, let's get back to, yeah. Okay, well, yes, let's no, get maybe back sometimes and I rapid can. fire question. All right, I'll ask a rapid fire question. All right, what, um, you, what was your favorite supplement you wrote uh, or worked on with uh, Rolaids? The first one I did for them, because it started the line, Beastmaker Mountain, which was not only based on a campaign, but all the characters were the people I worked with at TSR. Orlo <laughs> the Wizard was Joe Orlowski. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's great. Have you ever written with your wife? No. Did you guys intend to do that or? No. Oh, wow. I think we've worked together on two short stories, but we didn't work together. Oh, wow. Someone did a draft, someone did a final. Add this in. But no, we don't write alike. And besides, I don't want to look bad, and she's incredibly better technically than I am. I'm a storyteller, and she's a brilliant writer. What is your, um, when, when you're sitting down, do you have to have it quiet to write, or do you want noise? Is there a soundtrack? How do you do your writing? I don't put music on because if I put music on, the mood of my book fits the music. And oh, I wow. I try to engineer that. And as far as writing, 
I tend to write at a computer in the same place or on a laptop isolated somewhere. But once I get into it, you have to touch me to get me to come back and pay attention to what's going on around me. Wow. How so fast? Hyper focus. How, get can, lost how, in fast world. how fast are you? Terribly you slow and I watch the keys. Do you? I'm a terrible typist. I took it in high school, then broke my thumb in wrestling. So I never learned to do it right. So I, I still use the Columbus method, hunt and land. Oh, wow. Right, if you can meet any historical character or person from history, who would it be? Napoleon Bonaparte. Very cool. Why? Because people don't realize beyond the military just how much he did. He created the modern legal code. He created the French Institute of Science uh, to join him in Egypt. He, he created the modern concept of bureaucracy and he created the first, the first concept of general staff. And he created the first core system for the armies. And he created a legal system that was fair to everybody, including him as first citizen until he became emperor and he did what he wanted. Um, so, um, in his Napoleon of 1807 or eight would be an amazing man. I mean, you don't know, understand what you owe to him. In order to supply his troops invading Russia, he held a science contest to, for the preservation of meat. And the process that was developed for his contents is called canning. Oh my god. No canned foods until him. Wow. Can it's it, put it in a can, heat it to where you kill all the bacteria, and it'll last for years. Wow. I, I so, learned something. Did you just learn something, Mark? I, I knew that, but that was still it's still fun to hear. It's always a romance novel and two others. Wow. So Okay, I just lost my me. question. No, going back to my question. If you could take, um, you know, with Netflix and everything the way it is, they've taken stuff that previous we never wanted to be made into something on screen because they were going to ruin it, Dune. Um, so I enjoyed Dune the movie, don't get me wrong, but it, it was not the book. Um, what would you like to see made into a show? Like if you had to, if you were able to pick something, go, go make this right now, what would you see made? Hammer slammers. I, I would back you on that. I'd, I'd put my 10 bucks down to see that. Yeah, I would, I would watch a good military show with hard edge and all sorts of good high tech that goes off. Yep. That would be pretty, pretty epic. That was a good If I could figure out a way to add car chases, it'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still I, I see Vin Diesel in it. I, I got Vin Diesel starring, so it's good. Oh, maybe. Maybe, you know I mean? but not as Hammer as one of the tank drivers. No, like I said, one of the, yeah, exactly. You would. The okay, guy who's the uh, Hammer? Hammer, the, uh, the uh, Hammer, I would probably look at casting as um, Kizzy Fools You. Um, hard to tell, but if I had to pick a Hammer, the actor I might, for, for style and looks, would be Hugh Laurie. Oh, oh man. Yeah. And, if just Mark, and for your information, the guy who runs the White Mice. Yeah. The guy who played Spike. Oh, uh, James Marsters. Can't go wrong with that. Marston would play a I would totally buy that. Psychotic yeah. bodyguard. 
Oh man, See, I was I was thinking Nathan James Marsh would be brilliant. Oh now I'm now I'm seeing James Marsters big time. That's good. I love That's James Marsters. I'd I'd love to see a stainless steel rat series and then do that, do them both together. So you got like a power hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the trouble with doing stainless steel rat is it's pretty topical. That's you know, true. You can read the books. They're very 60s and 70s. Harry yeah. was writing about his political situation and world. Yeah. Do you still game? Yes. What kind of game are you playing right now? D&D with an online group, Traveler with an online group, DDO and um, Fallout 76 online with friends. Um, and then every once a week, uh, another couple in our bubble and us get together. We play various board games, but often we're playing um, uh, the um, Marvel uh, card, Marvel Champions, the card game kind of thing. Nice. Um, we, we just got kicked by King in the last thing. We're going to try him again with a different mix. I love Fallout 76. I, 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 I was playing that and I started. I was addicted. If, he, if it, that game didn't exist, I'd have the program done that he's working on. <laughs> I believe it. Oh, when it World of Warcraft cost me at least two books. Oh yeah. my gosh. I have five maxed out characters, but was two books City heroes. done in the time it took to do them. City of Heroes for me. I, did, I missed Warcraft, but I got stuck in City of Heroes. See, I did EverQuest. I was a beta player for EverQuest. Mm -hmm. Went down a whole road. So they can't find me now. I sold a whole bunch of characters. Like I'd max them and sell them and max them and sell them. And then went down the world of Warcraft. I just stopped at the Panda Bears. Couldn't do it after the Panda Bears. I, I play classic now. I won't even touch the original game. They, they dumbified it, in my opinion. They made it too simplistic to try and widen the appeal. That's why classics getting more people playing than the old game. Yep. I believe it. Did you ever play Neverwinter Nights? All the time. Maxed out three characters. What did you think of it? I thought it was really good and the new editions have uh, given it a lot, lot more terrain. But I did spend a whole lot of time in the capital city just hitting the bless every day to get the extra experience to build up all my characters. Nice. Wow. Yeah, I like the Ravenloft expansion. That was nice. Mm -hmm. that. that was very good. I didn't see the Ravenloft. I loved playing Ravenloft when it first came out, but we had an ongoing, I don't know if you guys said this, but we had an ongoing joke that if you were, you got sent to Ravenloft, your character got sent to Ravenloft, you're pretty much just screwed. Like it, it was like almost game <laughs> over. Pretty much the rule. Abandon all hope. Yeah. yeah. That's like, like playing Call of Cthulhu. You're just dead. You just okay. don't know what. Lightning round, lightning round. Oh yeah. Get back to questions. <laughs> Boss man, what the hell? Get back to questions. <laughs> You're a co-host. Get your crap together, Jim. Okay. So you said Zelazny. Any other authors you would love to bring back just for one more book? Al Bester. Everything he did was brilliant. Yeah. Cornwainer Smith. The guy who wrote his Cornwainer Smith. That wasn't his real name who only did a very few things. And if you haven't read them, they're totally bizarrely different. And don't read them if you're writing. I have okay. terrible experience with that. I was reading Ballad of Lost of Hall and some stuff to, uh, and all that, and the Golden Ships and all that. And then I tried to write something straight and it came out in that Chinese fairy tale fo uh. format that he uses for all those stories. And it was totally incomprehensible by everyone. I had to start it over after I read something normal. 
because what you read is what you get. When I read write science fiction, I read mysteries. When I'm writing the mystery, I read science fiction. Can you read more than one book at a time? Not like at the same time, but do you, can you keep different books going? Yeah, I'm working on both, worked on both today. Not writing, I mean reading. Like I've discovered, I can read if it's a real, like a technical, not fiction kind of book, I can read that in a fiction book. But if I read two fiction books, what happens to me at the same time off and on, the character is suddenly this thing and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> Uh, no, actually, I, in fact, I am because I read normal book books because I've got like 5,000 I want to get to out of those library downstairs. And that's not an exaggeration. I um, don't doubt it's an exaggeration. But I can't read in bed at night because I'm in the room with Jody. So, and she goes to bed earlier than me. So then I read on a Kindle and it's a different book. So I'll be reading two of something and they're normally fiction at the same time, one during the day and one to go to sleep. And it, it really isn't a, isn't a problem with it, but then maybe because I'm used to editing a book and reading a book and writing a book on the same day, my mind's gotten a little more partitioned or it's just shattered, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I realized, because I actually had this happen with the TV show because I was watching Vikings and I was watching The Last Kingdom and I've taken oh. a break from both. And then I started watching the new season of The Last Kingdom and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I had to stop trying to figure out what the crap was happening. Cause I was like, what show are we in? Cause they're the same characters, just different. Well, yeah. Uh, well, you know you know how to make an old man sleep in a chair? Hmm. Let him sit down. Yep. <laughs> okay. Story of my life. I'm an old man. So sometimes <laughs> I'll be sitting in the easy chair and I'll drift off on a show and the next show will come on and it takes 15 or 20 seconds for me to register that this is happening, not this, and they're not related. And your, your mind's trying to fit it in, trying to fit it in. And it, depending, you know, if you're going from ER to Kolchak or something, it's a real interesting. Yeah, that's a big difference. That's twist a big difference. for a second before your mind settles. Mad props on the Kolchak reference there. That's good. Gotta got love some Dermot McGavin. Okay, you're nerding out too. I'm just pointing. Okay, do you point out my nerding? It's all good. It's all good. We're, um, we're talking the same language. So. Do you um when obviously you did reviews that sort of thing. Um, I've met a we lot did. of Jordan authors, and a lot of readers who have to finish a book. Like they haven't, you know. I'm assuming you're able to chuck it, right? Yes. The first time a character does something incredibly counteractive, indicated and stupid in order to make the plot work, the book goes away. Wow. And you mentioned you don't review books that, do you leave reviews for books you love? No, no, I, I only did it when, I'm a professional, they paid me to review them. They don't pay me, I don't write it. Do you I have a lot of people, Amazon, I mean- First of all, Amazon reviews are bogus and I don't review on most other sites. Yeah. No, totally. Do you, um, do you have a lot of people that come up to you just because of the nature of what you do in the industries you are that are like, hey, I want you to read my book? Mm, have had that happen. I give the same reply every time. 
What's that? Unfortunately, due to legal reasons, I cannot read other books that I have not paid someone for and don't own the rights to because of the uh, intellectual properties. Okay. So I'm afraid I can't. Sorry. No, I'm that's... a packager and I can't read other works because I'll be accused of taking your idea. Yep. Now, wow. I don't explain to them that idea means nothing. I mean, someone comes to me with a book about a short guy who finds a ring and has to throw it in a volcano. It can be very, it doesn't matter except how you write it. Yep. So, I mean, it's been well done once already, but it's not the plot, it's how you handle the idea because things cycle around and they just have variants and original approaches. As an indie gaming gaming right back in the day, um, and, and the big wigs were, you know, didn't understand the gaming community. Uh, and then as you've watched it grow, and now, you know, people are watching podcasts and listening to other gamers game, uh, you know, uh, yeah, what is, those. huh? You've, you've been do, on a, I do D&D sessions for charity. Nice. Nice. So can what uh, you know, from a thousand yard perspective going back, you know, can you what would which of the developers do you think would have been the most like yes this is where it's going to go and which one would have been like no this is just going to be us here enjoying it and, and a few thousand fans who had long view on this yeah who do you think might have um, seen that coming FASA had it but got too far ahead of themselves and it hurt the company yeah you know they're back by the way. Um, oh, wow. Ross Babcock's revised the name and is putting Roleplay and other products out as faster products Jeez. again for the first time in the last two years. I got to dig out find my, them online. Got to dig out my Doctor Who RPG. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, with Robotech, and then they tried to put put it in before the technology could handle it. They tried to do POV electronic gaming and stuff. Yeah. Um, I would say Steve Jackson's always had a handle on what works and what can sell. Steve's always been brilliant at it. He's a friend, and I've always trusted his judgment on it. In fact, he was one of the readers and gave me some really important input on the Never Again military book. He read the book for me and made an excellent suggestion on character development for me that I'd left out. What are your favorite sci-fi games? Did you play cyberpunk and stuff like that? Um, yeah, you could say that. I helped create it. But yep. <laughs> I like DC Heroes too. <laughs> yep. Wow. Um, but as far as what was, what's my, I'm a D&D player from the first day to the last. Do you? Um, anything else is just a spinoff from it. And I must admit that uh, Empire of the Petal Throne was good. And a few others that were worth playing and a lot of fun with slightly different systems. And what is your favorite modules. What? What is your favorite version of D&D to play? Five now, because they're doing, they combine my favorite versions, one and three. Yep, I agree, 100%. They did it right after destroying it with four. Four, yeah. I don't want to talk about four. I feel like four is the... the Nobody does, don't worry Nobody about Nobody talks it. about four. <laughs> it's like the drunken cousin that you don't invite to the party. No, I remember... I remember I hadn't played in a while. I love see, I love Forgotten Realms and Mithranor. Like I love this storyline of those particular modules, you know, that whole thing. And then um stuff happened and things happened. And then I was I was brought a friend of mine came for and I was reading the book and I literally just closed it and went, no, and I left. 
Oh, my God. It happens. <laughs> questions, questions. Oh, whoa. Okay. Wow. Wow. I've it's getting late. We are Lots of caffeine. Lots of caffeine. Okay. What is your writer um, quirk that you do that you have to catch yourself or whatever? Do you have like a word? Do you have a way you do something that your editor comes back and goes, stop this? Um, not so much as, um, my editors sometimes wish I would discover commas. <laughs> but, um, generally, um, no, no, I, I don't, I'm sure I do, but I'm not aware of it enough that the, the ones that haven't been beaten out of me are probably permanent. And I'm not aware of them. Um, at one time, I had a pension for sadisms. Uh, I also had a pension for unattributed dialogue, and um, uh, and um, it making it being artificial sounding because I tried to make it snappy instead of like someone would say. If you, that was beaten out of me by some very good editors at Ace early in the process. What is your um, like number one piece of advice you give a young, uh, not young, I don't want to say young authors, newer authors? Don't quit your day job. Um, <laughs> write what you want to, making it fit the mood of the, uh, of the time, not the trend of the time. Don't try, don't try and write what people are reading. By the time you get it out, they won't be. But write something you want to do well with that you will enjoy, that you will be creative at. And then never forget that it, you're communicating the story and tell the whole story. Just don't tell the parts that interest you. Wow. That's the main problem amateur writers have is they only talk about the parts that interest them and then gloss over the rest or spend 72 pages explaining the culture that's only relevant to six scenes in the book. No, that's very true. What is your what is your favorite fan moment that you had where you got to meet somebody that you I call it fangirl over, but that you were like, I'm so excited to meet this person. Who was that for you? Maybe you gotta remember what I do at Dragon Cat. I know, but even at Dragon Con, you there's got to be people that you meet that you're like, this is awesome. Probably Stanley. Yeah. Nicest guy I knew. Wonderful to deal with. I remember one time we were doing a banquet. I was emceeing. And geez, we almost lost him. Um, tell that in a second. But after the banquet that we had brought in to the Dragon Con banquet, six families of disabled veterans in the vets. Oh, wow. And seated them in the back because they wanted to, it was there, they wanted to do it. And we always do all these charities. Last year, we raised 150000 or the year before, we raised $150,000 for charity at the con and donated 2,300 units of blood and blood and plasma. Wow. I mean, we're very charity oriented. It's very public minded. That's why the Dragon Awards are people's choice. It's, that's how we think. Remember, our everybody running the con is a fan. There's no professionals 
it's not for profit effect. We are a corporation, we have to make money, but that's what we can afford to do next year. Um, but we don't think like we've turned down big money. To, uh, I know we, I don't own any of it. I just work there, but I know the owners and they have turned down big money because they love it. They do it because they want a fan convention. They could sell it to San Diego Comic-Con and turn it into a money machine, but we don't want that then. There wouldn't be a Dragon Con. Anyhow, uh, Stan Lee waited after, he'd been working all day. The banquet ended at 10 at night and he spent the next half hour sitting with each family and talking to them and coming up and having them do pictures with him, even though I knew he was exhausted. Wow. And, do, and doing that. Now, I think probably my biggest fanboy moment involving Stan was I was working with a thing called the Armory, which was a weapons display at uh, Dragon Con, uh, Modern Weapons and Swords. And one of the people there was a gentleman whose name I won't use, but he was the founding officer of SEAL Team 6. Wow. One of the most, if, at 70, I would count on him in a room with 12 thugs to walk out. Uh, just give him a butter knife. <laughs> and, um, you know, like that scene with... Um, where he just puts the uh, little screw top on the side. <laughs> Anyhow, um, and uh, he was at the armory, and we, I was talking with him, and he said, if there's, I said, you know, you've been really great seats. He said, Bill, can you do me a big favor? Can you seat me at the banquet somewhere near Stan Lee? I've been a comic collector all my life. Nice. This is a man in his 60s. And I went, yeah, I think I can work something out. So when the convention ended and Stan Lee was there, this was his second year he'd come, I, I brought over the founding member of SEAL Team, officer of SEAL Team 6, and introduced him to Stan Lee. And Stan Lee went, SEAL Team 6, founding member? And they fanboyed each other for about 10 minutes. Nice. And they both felt so, and I just felt so good being able to do that because it made them both so happy. Stan met a real life hero. He met his hero, and it just—it was a warm feeling to be able to put someone like that together. It's like when I find a couple authors who want to work together, and I introduce them, or when when I get someone connected to somebody, you get a sense. See, I don't—I don't remember the people I've met. I like to think that what I'll leave behind is a lot of people I helped. I think that's, that's very, very true. I'll remember. Um, I think. I think so. I think you've had a huge impact and probably impacts that you don't even realize you've had on writing. You can have the humility. I can say this though, because I'm the host. So I get to say this, that the impact that you've had and what you're known for in creating and creating from a community standpoint is huge. It is huge because as authors, a lot of times we can be segregated because of the nature of it. And you have done a ton to bring the community together and have it be what it is. Or the myth has just far exceeded the reality as usual. In, in my mind, I will build you up like a superhero, iron bladder superhero. Like yeah, that's- yeah. No, I'm barely Robin and I stumble. Um, <laughs> I'm more like Catwoman's sidekick, you know, kitten. <laughs> I, do you have a clever- Catwoman, I can agree with that. So. <laughs> Anyhow, um, 
no, the Stan Lee story, just for a quick, the, probably yeah. the most important thing I ever did for the entire industry was that we were, I was, the first year Stan was there and I was the moderator at the banquet and I announced Stan Lee Day and Stan has got the alderman from this councilman from the city of Atlanta has declared that next day Stanley Day and here's your plaque and everything. Stan got so excited that instead of running to the stairs, he ran straight for the platform, which was an 18 inch level up. Now this is guy in his 90s and gets there. He's got enough momentum to get one foot on it, start moving up. And then I saw him start going back. And I was right next to him and I grabbed both his arms and pulled him up which didn't take much because he weighed half what I did do and pulled him up, put him on the stage. And all I could think of while he was giving unfazed, gave us wonderful speech. Thank you speech. And all I could think was we were almost the con that with that concrete floor probably would have killed Stan Lee. And we'd had to shut the whole of Dragon Con down right there out of shame. And oh. I, I was practically shaking. Oh, man. I doubt he Thank you for saving Stan Lee. Yes. Unsung hero. Yeah, no, it was it was not being embarrassed by killing Stan Lee. <laughs> unsung idiot. Well, I see, that's the history that you're talking about. You were part of the history that you write about. Yes, a history mistake that was avoided right there. So yeah, well, that would have been the end of Dragon Con, I suspect. We'd have been hated universally. Oh my goodness. Well, wow. Bill, you have been amazing. We have to wrap up literary briefs, even though I've jacked you up on caffeine now, so we'll let you lose on Jody. <laughs> well, um, don't forget to read my brilliant wife, Jody Lynn Nye's books, too. She's better than I am. She is. Uh, actually, her episodes are airing as we're doing this podcast. Her episodes are airing. So, oh, dear. You mean yes. I'm not watching my wife's episodes? I'm going to be in trouble. Oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, that's that's right. I'll send you the link. She'll never know. Okay. <laughs> that's good. Bill, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. You have been amazing and wonderful. Yeah, I hope I didn't divert too many times too far, but thank you. You were okay. perfect. And I can't when we're at Dragon Con under the way we figured out how to do it to come and meet you in person. That would be amazing. Yeah, don't tell anybody except your viewers that I said that, but anyhow. Yeah. I'll know. tell all five of them. No, we'll edit that last, we'll edit that last work, little five so minutes out. <laughs> we'll edit that last little five minutes out. It'll be fine. It might be a good idea to edit those out actually. Okay. We'll put in, I, we'll put in a laugh track. Got it. <laughs> I'll actually, I'm going to have to go tell Adam that right away because otherwise he'll be like this. No, it's fine. I'll make sure that's out of there. But no, thank you that. so much, Bill, for everything. Our pleasure. Happy to be with you. Good interview. Lots of fun. And uh, certainly we covered a little ground. Yes. We went the spectrum. So thank you, Bill. And it's good to see you. And tell Jody I said hi again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Send my love to Jody. She is amazing. And this has been Ricky with Authors. I've been Erica Lance. And I've been Mark Munsey. And our guest has been Bill Dawson. We'll see you next time.